Okay, I think I'm going to do a topic of a Bible verse, which is, it's better to be wronged. In 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 7, or chapter 6, uh, verse 7, uh, there's all these different versions. I've always, I don't know why I've always liked the Darby version. It just doesn't make any sense to me why this version sounds better, but I'll just re- start with the Darby version. Already... Indeed, then, it is altogether a fault in you that ye have suits between yourselves. Suits being lawsuits. Why do ye not rather suffer wrong? Why are ye rather not rather defrauded? Oh, I wonder why I like this version of this, this ye stuff. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I don't like it. King James 21. I don't know what that is. Now, therefore, there it is. Utterly a fault among you, because ye go to a law one against another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Uh, let's see. I don't know what these versions are. There's all the, I'm on Bible Gateway, and there's just tons of versions. GNT. The very fact that you have legal disputes among yourselves shows that you have failed completely. Would it not better for you to be wronged? Would it not be better for you to be robbed? Okay, that's a good version, GNT. ISV, I think that's International Standard Version. The very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves is already a defeat for you. Why not rather just accept the wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Ooh, Phillips. What is this Phillips? This is a long one. This is a big one. I mean, it's a a lot of words for such a small verse. When any of you has a grievance against another, aren't you ashamed to bring the matter to be settled before a pagan court instead of before the church? Ooh, now I really like this. Don't you know that Christians will one day judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, do you consider yourselves incapable of settling such infinitely smaller matters? Huh, this sounds like it's bringing in a lot more than just that one verse. Anyways... So, uh, incapable of settling such infinitely smaller matters. Don't you also know that we shall judge the very angels themselves? How much more than matters of this world only? In any case, if you find you have to judge matters of this world, why choose as judges those who count for nothing in the church? I say this deliberately to rouse your sense of shame. Are you really unable to find among your number one man with enough sense to decide a dispute between one and another of you? Or must one brother resort to law against another and that before those who have no faith in Christ? It is surely obvious that something must be seriously wrong in your church for you to be having lawsuits at all. Why not let yourselves be wronged or cheated? For when you go to law against your brother, you yourself do him wrong, for you cheat him of Christian love and forgiveness. Okay, I believe that's bringing up different or earlier parts of this verse, and I like the Phillips translation. So let's go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 just to see if, uh, if the Phillips um, translation included prior language, because that, that just makes any... Yep, sure it does, from, from one on. Uh Apparently, the Evangelical Heritage Version is what I'm looking at for right now. I don't know why. First Corinthians chapter 6. If any one of you has a case against another, does he dare to seek judgment before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 
And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to deal with insignificant lawsuits? Do you not know that we will judge angels? And how much more are the matters of this life? So if you have lawsuits involving matters of this life, do you appoint those people as your judges whom the church considers of no account? I say to this to make you feel ashamed. It is really the case that it, that there is not one wise is it really the case that there is not one wise man among you who would be able to decide a dispute between his brothers? Instead, brother sues brother, and in front of unbelievers. The fact that you have lawsuits with one another is already a complete failure on your part. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Instead, you yourselves do the wronging and defrauding. You do it to your brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor males who have sex with males, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbally abusive, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were those types of people, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Huh, that's an interesting context to be putting that in verse 9. All that stuff about immorality. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, this. Uh, how does this apply to my situation with uh, Thomas, with the landlord? Um, and I'm trying to implement what the Bible principles, which is why not rather be wrong. But in reality, I'm trying to implement the, the principles that are mentioned in that verse, which is, hey, there's people that should be judging these things because they are they make they're competent. They know they're they're church people instead of uh, worldly people, and that's what the IPCC is all about: the International P Christian Peace, whatever. Okay, and so um, that's why I would choose, and I opened up a, a case with some Christian mediators, and there's just no, there's nothing to compel a person to go to Christian mediation because the world tells them, uh, you know, you're just going to, you're going to lose. So why go? And so they're applying worldly principles at the same, you know, and, and pretending to be, you know, working Christian principles. But the reality is by not submitting to Christian uh, uh, mediation, they're dealing, they're, they're pushing worldliness right there. It's just it's so right in the Bible. So, when it says, why not rather be wronged, uh, I guess maybe I might rather be wronged by Thomas, because he, he did put me up, and uh, now he's, he's put me out. So, that's kind of the way things are in the world, and dealing with Christians, and uh, if you can't please somebody for whatever reason, you know, there are reasons why I can't please him, and, he, and uh, so I end up on the outs. And that's the way things work in the world and in Christian, cir Christian circles as well. However, I feel like, uh, you know what, a lot of the reason why I'm put out or why I am in such dire straits and a mess is because of Thomas. I mean, there's bullshit about him making me get rid of the car. And uh, it was bullshit that he then, you know, the, uh, catching me drinking on the property after 10.30 p.m. at night. So, so now I decided I didn't want to drink, and so therefore I drove. 
and got the DUI. So, so now it introduces a ton of other issues, which is, you know, whose responsibility is it that I drank and drove? It's mine. And, and how did I get there? Well, through my interactions with Thomas. And would I have not drunk and drove? Yeah, absolutely. That's my, that's my absolute preference is to, if I'm going to drink, is to drink at home. Uh, come on, that's normal uh, American rights. You have the right to drink at home and not bother people if that's what you want to do. I live alone. Me drinking is not bothering anybody. I don't make loud noises. I'm not the most I'd bother would be a chicken that comes into my my uh, my living area and shits on my carpet. Okay, so it's like get the fuck out of here. I'm gonna squirt you some water. Okay, or a dog that coming in trying to kill me. Get the fuck out of here. Squirt you with some water or or whatever. Or even worse because that's even more dangerous. So. And the thing is, I wasn't at the time I was drinking. I wasn't, wasn't harming anybody. I was just trying to deal with why can't I get? Uh, I was just trying to deal with the emotional levels of of the custody of my son and and my daughter, but mostly my son that day because my son didn't want to see me. He had other things to do or something, and it just bothered the crap out of me that I wouldn't even get in custody. And those are the, the worldly arrangements that have been made. And I didn't even want to go through the fucking arrangements. So I didn't want to separate from my wife. That's all my wife's doing. And then all my wife has the power to sit there and not uh, adhere to the agreement. Uh, even, even years later now, I'm just like blown away by how I got treated by my wife. And it still bothers me. And people don't want to hear it. And it's like, uh-huh, you're listening to this podcast, you made it all the way this far, well, there's something compelling you to listen to this bullshit, right? So, uh, and you don't want to hear why I have this messed up relationship with my wife, because that that's probably not material to why you're even listening to this, all right? Uh, so what would be material is because this thing is with Thomas just blown up or something on a legal scale or something. Okay. So how did we, how did we get here? We got here because Kevin's all screwed up. Kevin got hosed by his wife, by his church. Uh, and, uh, Kevin tried to continue to work and it just was so much stress that he just started drinking. And, uh, and he's like, there's, there's no, there's nothing that I can do to reduce the stress on my life. And there's no resort. There's no, there's no recourse. So might as well enjoy the ride on the way down. I'm, I'm out the door. I'm out the door of the airplane. I'm falling. I got no parachute. Might as well enjoy the ride down. That's why I drink. And everybody that's an alcoholic, you don't need a drink. The reason to drink, you just drink. Okay, that's what they tell you in AA and all that bullshit. But uh, the reality is, I that's how I felt. That was my reason. And uh, and Thomas wasn't listening to my reason. And people listening to this aren't going to listen to my reason because they're listening for some other reason other than why my life fell apart with my uh, my marriage and things like that. They really don't care. 
And if they do care, I mean, this is what, probably decades later or something, people listening to this bullshit. And they would care and they're wondering how it could go this far or go this direction or something. Okay. Uh, well, I didn't see that it would go that direction. It just didn't make any fucking sense to me. I, I tried to implement my Christian life and Christian principles and follow Christ. And uh, it was the Christians that caused me so much damage in my life. And I just don't get it. I don't understand how Christians can do that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So, implementing this verse, why not better be wronged? How do I? Uh, okay, so I originally thought, well, I, how how do I? I'm not, how do I submit to but rather be wronged? And that's subjunctive to the um, the lawsuits. You know, why do you have lawsuits? So it looks the the Bible looks at lawsuits as a lower form of of behavior than if you were to submit to. Uh, some kind of mediation between Christians. So I really do want to submit to the mediation of Christians in this Thomas thing, because in this landlord thing, because, well, first of all, I've already done it. I've already submitted it to uh, the Christian group. I don't remember the name of the group. Uh, I suppose while I'm talking, I could pull up the name of the group that I have submitted, but I already had a podcast on that, and so I read the entire thing that I sent to, to the, some Christian groups, so I don't really need to do that again. Um, all right, so so I'm, I am implementing this verse or in the way that it's intended, which is submit to the Christians first, submit to the worldly authorities second. And why even go that far? Instead, just say, well, Thomas screwed me over, and that's that. I'll see you guys later. Be wronged. So, I get it. I understand that's what it's saying. I don't like it, and I'm probably going to end up doing it, because if I can't get the Christian mediation thing to work, then, you know, it's all about the world and how the world works. And the world works in the ways of uh, it follows uh, they say bullshit rolls downhill, and uh, it does. And uh, people who have power pour, pour their shit on the people who don't have power. And that's the whole world is set up that way so that that continues. And that's the way things are going to work if this thing goes to a lawsuit or whatever. Even, even the fact that there's been criminal behavior and I can prove it, it doesn't matter. The way the world works is that the bullshit rolls downhill and Thomas is uphill of me in a more than literal sense. I mean, literally, he's uphill of me. Physically, he's uphill of me. Metaphorically, he's uphill of me because he's got more money and he's got more power. And uh, maybe even he might even be a better person than me because he works harder than me. And, um, well, I mean, he had a lot more resources than I did. And he certainly was brought in more... Uh, uh, brought more to bear than I have. And the simple fact is there's what, only two kids in his family. And so his parents spent money getting him educated. And, okay, great. And they encouraged him to get educated. Okay, great. And they're nice enough people and they're Christians. He was raised Christians. Oh, shit, I would have loved to have been raised Christian. 
Okay, so you get all the, it's like, the world looks at it as having a silver spoon in your mouth, okay, and that's a silver Christian spoon, that's a silver spiritual spoon in your mouth, and look at what Thomas is doing with it, he's mistreating me. So, that's the way things are, he has all the leveraged authority, and I have none, almost none. All right, so why not rather be wrong? I guess I would rather be wrong because other than that, I'm submitting to a pile of bullshit and nothing good comes of that. So that'll be that. If it doesn't work with mediation, it's not going to work with Christian mediation. Hmm. All right, well. To be candid, I thought that this section that talks about uh, bringing cases against each other and all that stuff, uh, uh, and that when you know, you know you'll be judging angels, that that was in a different part of Scripture. But it's all together in the same part of Scripture, which is good. I like how it's compact and it's all in the same same thing. Okay? So, good. That's, that's the verse that, that applies to this situation for us. And... Um, Bringing it to bear is not going to be easy. It won't be fun. And I don't really want to do it. I'd rather find a sneaky way to change the dog's behavior, which, uh, like me pouring piss on the ground so that it could try to establish, author or establish uh, territory. And the problem is that the dog, uh, he understands. I've got video of the dog pour pissing, not pissing, you know, doing territorial spray right where I put the territory. Okay. He and I know that's the beginning and end of our territories. He knows he's coming into my territory. Okay. But the owner is coming down. It's, it's, this is the owner's territory. And he is with the owner. And he, so therefore, he gets to cross into my territory with impunity. And he gets to be a mean spirited piece of shit within impunity because. In dog language and animal language, they you know that's just part of the that's bullshit rolling downhill in their in their lives. They get away with it. it happens to them, they and they do it to others. So it's bully. They get to be bullies. They're raised bullies. They know understand. Uh, they understand authority structure, and the authority structure is <laughs> this dude down the hill is down the hill from the owner, and uh, I get to piss on him, and I get to be mean to him. Hmm. And then just today, you're just, well, yesterday now, I guess, uh, Thomas wants me to close my door so that his dog can walk past or, you know, walk free out on the property and not feel like he has to, uh, you know, uh, key up on me and stick me back in my cave. All right. That's not the words Thomas used, but that's, that's what's going on. And Thomas is enforcing that, reinforcing the whole behavior. He's telling the person, he's, what kind of a guy does that to another person? Oh, my dog is more important than you. That triggers a kind of anger in the whole thing. That's how things go bad, fast. You trigger anger. Well, why not follow this verse? I mean, Thomas is kind of going off here 
in in the Bible terms in a lot of different ways. He's going off in the in in the this verse verse six. He's going off in terms of taking my inventory. He's going off in uh, criminal behavior. He's going off in uh, in having authority and misusing it and abusing the authority. He's going off by how he treats me. He's just very dismissive of me. Dismissiveness. In the past, I have been accused of being dismissive. In particular, what brings up uh, dismissiveness uh, for toward with me towards others is my brother accused me of being dismissive of him. And unfortunately, I can't remember the context of him claiming I was dismissive of him. Was I dismissive of Tim? I guess I don't know. Hmm. So, maybe God's trying to show me something here. Like, uh, I was dismissive, and now someone's dismissive to me, and it's not very fun behavior. It doesn't feel good to be dismissed. Hmm. So why can't I remember how I was dismissive of my brother Tim? I mean, we're talking about he, he's the one who molested my, you know, my would-be wife, Tammy, to, who I had in my mind I was going to marry her. Okay. When I was seven years old, I came back from Mexico. My dad had a sabbatical, and we spent a year down in Mexico, came back, and I had missed Tammy so much. I told everybody in the neighborhood, I don't care who cares, who knows, I missed her. She was gone when I came back, and so I was like, I missed her all the more, and she came, and I told everybody, I want to marry her. I was seven. And so we had a marriage ceremony. Now, I know this isn't serious and real, but that's kind of cute. A little seven-year-old telling a six-year-old he loves her and he wants to marry her. And then in front of all the neighborhood kids, kissing her. And then other neighborhood kids didn't believe it. I can't believe you kissed a girl, including Tammy's older brother, Doug. And if you kiss her in front of me and everybody else, I'll give you a quarter. A quarter was the entire my entire uh, weekly allowance. So... We've had a second marriage ceremony, and uh, Carl Kuntz pronounced us man and wife, and uh, by the authority invested in him and by the state of California. <laughs> I remember that. It's funny. He's like, how did you come up with all that stuff? That's amazing. Anyways, so, uh, and then he paid me a quarter. He left me a quarter on the kitchen table at home, and my, my mom goes, <laughs> Here's a quarter for you from Doug and little notes for Kevin as a quarter is like, and I don't think I told her why. <laughs> it was like, in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, okay. That's a lot of money for me. It 
it's not a lot of money for you guys, but surely you have questions. Why am I getting a quarter from some kid up the street, right? Okay. Nope. No question. Here's your quarter. <laughs> this strikes me as funny then, and it strikes me as funny now. I don't know why that's funny. It is funny. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, why not rather be wronged? Uh, well, I think that's where things are headed. Probably very likely I'm going to end up being wronged in this whole situation. I got fucked. And I don't know how to unfuck my fucked upness and how I keep getting everything fucked up in uh, my relationships because I have a limbic system that has gone awry. And it's been since before I was, you know, before my parents split up, you, you have issues, right? Everybody has issues. And then the parents split up, and it's like, oh, this is really bad. And then then it just got exaggerated and uh, magnified and amplified by how, how horrible I was being treated by my father when their parents split up. And it got worse, and then I fell into depression when I was 10, All right. So from that, that is my color of my perception of how, you know, I'm entering the world and this is not a, this is not a fun place. It's not good. It's not, you know, all these people that talk in Pollyannish terms is like, well, <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't, I don't have to take on your bullshit. And then when I thought I was going to rise above that and, uh, you know, bootstrap myself out of it, then I came across the Christianity stuff in a very forcible manner. And so I never really recovered from the forcibleness of how the world has imp imposed its viewpoints and, and issues on me. And I feel like I'm at the point where I, I have to start exerting my own authority on issues. And uh, the problem is Christ has more authority than me. Christ, you know, his authority is of love over the centuries. And he's still alive. So I'm probably very likely wrong by wanting to exert my authority, by wanting to say something about how things are going. And, and that part is not wrong because something's going wrong with Christianity and I don't know how to express it. And it's happening to me and it's happening to other people too. And it's ugly and it's wrong. It's just not, it's not going right. Something's off. God, God knows it. I don't know what his plan is to fix it and change it. I mean, he's going to come back and he's going to let it go bad and then come back and fix it, I guess. That's the biblical plan, but that's kind of a weird plan because we can't really tell if it's going to happen tomorrow or, or five generations from now. I honestly thought I honestly thought it was going to happen within a couple of years of me when I was in my 1820s, or 18-year-old to 20-year-old at that time. And it didn't happen. And I honestly think it's going to happen soon now, which means it probably won't happen. So will it honestly happen within a couple hundred years? Who knows? It doesn't matter because I won't be around. Well, maybe my grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, they'll be around when Jesus comes back. 
And you can see all the evidence coming up of the times coming that true, I mean, very rapidly now. You can see uh, the authority aligning itself up, the worldly authorities, the wicked systems of things. I gotta tell you, even even five decades later, I'm 58, okay, four decades later, I'm still scared of this stuff, this uh, Bible prophecy stuff. It's scary as shit. It's as scary as a dog coming into your house and barking at you. Okay. And that's why people get all bent out of shape over religion, because that is scary shit, and it's going to happen. And I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I, from myself, okay, God, I want to be part of your plan. I want to be one of yours. And part of that is because I detect some love, and, uh, but also this is some, I detect some terror there, some terribleness, scary. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and uh, certainly took on the, some of the fear of the Lord there. <laughs> All right, well, title of this episode is going to be, why not better be wrong, but in reality it's more like, uh, hey, guess what, Christian mediation is where it's headed and where it's at and where it works, and I'd really love to see that take on here in, in our world, it's Christian mediation services, and all they lack is Christian mediation process servers, somebody who will take on and advocate for a person who is being wronged and has filed a complaint and there's nothing left that uh, for them to do other than watch justice not work. All right, so it's 5.17 in the morning, I'm thinking about this, about this uh, why not further be wrong I guess I have been up all night since one or one o'clock in the morning and I'm still kind of emotionally I guess you could call it bent out of shape my amygdala is triggered and so how do I get myself untriggered get lose the uh, anxiety and then you know, thinking about that, realizing, okay, it was only a few seconds or a minute, maybe a little, one, two minutes after uh, the dog's barking at me that the landlord comes down and talks to me. And that's, uh, that's not acceptable. That's like coming to somebody, committing a crime, pointing a gun at their head, and then coming back. Oh, I'd like to talk to you in the nicest terms possible. That's what it is. That's uh, some kind of uh, interrogation technique. Extremely effective. Especially since, you know, what's the real counter to it? I mean, if I call him on it, then he's going to kick me off the property, right? He's going to get all bent out of shape over some other bullshit. Okay. So, so how the question is, how do I call him on it in such a way that he stops kind of the behavior, but doesn't 
go so far as to think that he needs it's time for him to kick me off the property. Right? I don't know how to do it. I string him along. Uh, there was the one time when he accused me and accused not. He just said, you, Kevin, you manage me. And I, and I thought, oh, well, I guess I do. I, uh, I considered that kind of a compliment because I had never really been all that good at managing things and other things and people and all that shit because you can't really control people, places, and things in the program is what they say. So having managed him to the point where he's, he recognizes the, uh, what is it, a skill, I guess? It's more like a coping skill than anything else. So how do I manage this? How do I manage to say, well, this uh, criminal behavior of treating me and, uh, and then coming and you know, talking to me in the nice tones is uh, kind of not working because that's a crime, asshole. And uh, so getting you to realize what you've done is a crime. And then the follow-up behavior isn't a crime. You're being a nice guy. Isn't that great that you're a nice guy? after you commit a fucking crime of, uh, of hinting violence against a person. Yeah. Okay. And this isn't the first time that's happened. He's treated me a couple of times and then came, you know, puts the dog in his pen and then comes and talks to me. And within a few seconds or minutes or whatever, you know, within a minute or so, just however long it takes to put the dog back. All right. Uh, that's just not fucking acceptable. That's, uh, that's wrong. Okay. So I'm trying to think of what is the good strategy to slowly bring him up to speed. I mean, because <coughs> I was sitting there talking about all this fantasy about, uh, uh, oh, you know, if I had if I were to tell him, what would I do? How can I practice? Tell you what, what I want. How do I practice getting him, you know, like, okay, if he was there listening and I had $20 million and now all of a sudden, oh shit, he can sue the crap out of me. Oh shit. I could go to jail for what I've been doing. Oh shit. You know, now it's equal ground, level ground. I got to listen to him. I got to do what, what he says. There's going to be equality here. It's a fucking fantasy, okay? But uh, maybe working out that fantasy is part of how I work out my, uh, my anxiety. I've noticed a lot of other people have very, very similar fantasies. It's like, oh, okay, well, that ain't going to work. And then you try all kinds of cerebral cortex type of things, you know, rational approaches to things and managing people and all that bullshit. And it's, you know, there's a point where uh, it just doesn't work anymore. It's not working. So maybe uh, just talk about, uh, you know, this just isn't working when you come in here and the dog trees me and there's a threat of violence. Um, that's a crime, Thomas. What you're doing is you're committing a crime. And that means you could go to jail. Okay. 
And I know by me bringing that up, it's going to scare the fuck out of you. It's going to scare the shit out of you. You're going to go and call your lawyer and say, is that a crime? And your lawyer is going to do, guess what? He's going to ka-ching. Charge you a bunch of money to basically say, yeah, well, yeah, it is a crime. But what is a crime after all? Maybe if you do this and do that and do the other thing, kick his ass off the property, then a crime would never committed because you can't prove it and blah, 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 okay? And, yeah, you could get away with that. And I could get away with suing the shit out of a person. How do I leverage this, the fact that I've captured some of this stuff on video, and it is a crime. And get him to, you know, stop that shit. Because, I mean, he brought his video, or his pictures of me of the piss on the ground i mean he knew it and i knew it what it was because apparently he probably had video of the event so he was just trying to see if i would lie and i think that's the purpose of video and he in that episode that time he's acting in a kind of precariat class type situation where he's like oh we're going to use video to see if this person is lying if they're lying, then fuck him. He's, he's out of here. If he tells the truth, well, you know, what was that stuff you're pouring? Oh, well, it's to establish territory. You know, what? He's like, you could see it on his face. Like, what? Yeah, you can buy it on the internet. What? Yeah. yeah I didn't tell him at the time, you know, you can buy bear piss on the internet. So, yes. Uh, he finally did go and do the Google and found out and sent me in writing that it was urine. Yes, it was urine. Okay. So then he also had a person there, the lady that was bringing the kitty cats, I think. And uh, he told her about it. And then right there, uh, she was just laughed her ass off because that's, funny when you tell that kind of story it's like a guy's born pissed that you establish his territory with the dog and the dog you know oh, that's funny haha <laughs> yeah that's so funny for another person but trying to live with a fucking vicious dog like that coming into your into your domicile coming into your territory is uh and being encouraged by the owner is, is not so fucking funny So how do I do it? I don't know how. Do it in the most rational manner possible, then the least amount for him to key up on. And getting the video often as much as I can is helping me access my rational side of my brain rather than, than me trying to beat the fuck out of that dog and go into my amygdala. But look at this. Uh, it's, I'm staying up four hours this night, worried about this, thinking about it, upset about it. Uh, yeah, that's like, that's bullshit. And Thomas told me once that he's wake, stays awake at night worrying about getting coronavirus from me or something like that. I think that was what he said. It like, wow. I guess that's your fucking problem, dude, because 
you could get coronavirus. I mean, there's like four interception points for him to get coronavirus from me. And he told me one that today that he wasn't even touching the the water. So that's three. It's garbage, which I I spray after I use after I touch the garbage. Boom, end of a interception point. Uh, the gate where there's a spray bottle down there for when we both touch the gate and don't transfer it to another person. Boom. Not an interception point. And then there's, uh, if he touches the handles or goes inside, he came inside the, the shack a few days ago, gave me notice and everything. And it's like, okay. And I sent a text to him saying, well, here's what you can do to, you know, counteract any coronavirus um so he's all worried about getting coronavirus and stuff i guess he really is worried i mean the worry is real it's keeping him awake at night just like i'm awake at night and my worry is is that the dog is going to continue to make my life kind of miserable yes i am a kind of worried that the dog is going to hurt me i think the moment that dog makes any any kind of move to really hurt me uh then then i'm i'm i've got maybe the possibility i mean if he catches me in the open i got no weapon or something but uh for the most part i think i can uh i don't know if i can take that dog he took me down he pulled me completely down, just like you would a buffalo out in the wild. And, and I was surprised at his uh, the efficiency of how well he took me down and easily it was for him. And it didn't hurt because he grabbed my backpack. I think he thought I was, he was grabbing a part of me or something. But, uh, I mean, it didn't hurt him pulling me down. It hurt when I hit the ground. Oh, shit. I, I hurt my shoulder for several days that hurt. But it didn't hurt when the dog grabbing the backpack because that you know that's not part of me. So, but that dog's experienced that pulling it down game meat like me, and he's bitten me. He's tasted my blood, and he's gone into my cave and barked at me. I'm this is a fucking dangerous fucking dog, okay? And I sure as hell worry about that dog. I mean, when he comes and barks, and then afterwards I process it, it's like, oh, fuck, I'm all shaking, and this is anxious, and oh, fuck. Okay. I generally don't stay awake at night worrying about the dog getting to me and stuff, because I think the dog is safely away somewhere else. But what I worry is the owner is using the dog in a criminal fashion to to try to trigger me and push me around and he's abusing his authority and he's being an asshole. So that's what I worry about. And, uh, and how is he going to push it to the point where he's going to say, Oh, that's it. You're out of here. You, you did that to my dog. You looked, you looked at him funny. You didn't mow the lawn for my dog, which he literally said today. Well, not literally. He didn't say it exactly like that. He said something very, very similar to that today. And he said something very, very similar to that a couple of weeks ago. He wants me to mow the lawn for his fucking dog. So his dog doesn't get thorns in his feet. And now he's mowing. He said so the dog doesn't uh, roll 
himself around, like scent himself or something, or you know, how a dog rocks, rubs his back in the grass, you know? And it's like, okay. Now, now the whole process and uh, approach and uh, uh, goal is completely different. To knock down weeds enough so the dog isn't going to spread his back on those weeds is, um, to me, uh, a work of Sisyphus. I mean, you just can't finish it. You're never going to finish it. It's never going to be done. And uh, fuck it. Why are you going to try? And, and when he originally asked me to start doing the weeds, the weeds were, you know, uh, it was a couple of years back. And the weeds were uh, over my knee in some areas. I didn't think much about having weeds over my knees. It's like they're just weeds or whatever. Who cares? They're not using the land. And some of them have flowers. They look nice enough. Or they're just weeds. What's, what's the problem? And it was all about weeds not looking good back then. And then when I cleaned it all up in the front, you know, here with all the dirt, making the dirt look nice and stuff. Now it's not about making it look nice. So it's... Just bullshit. And you bring someone on to live on your property and then you still treat them, or you treat them with bullshit, kind of like ruins the whole, you know, taste. It's like it's like getting a strawberry. It's going to taste awesome. And then you bite into it and it's like something's wrong. It's got dirt in it or it's got shit. Okay. Just the tiniest bit of shit will make that strawberry tastes bad. And the tiniest bit of shit that Thomas is spreading around on this relationship that we have is making the whole thing go bad. It just tastes bad now. So how do I get it? How do I remove the shit? How do I... Okay, uh, how to stop doing the criminal behavior? You have to introduce all this stuff that I want to tell him. The topsy-turviness of the whole thing where I want the relationship to restore, to, to become equal, that ain't going to happen overnight. Because if it does overnight, then he's going to be so shocked, he's going to call his lawyer and he's going to, whatever, okay? So how do I do it in, in a gradual fashion, in a manageable fashion? I am, I don't know. I'm all bent out of shape thinking about this stuff. I can't come up with gradual and manageable and cerebral cortex type of, uh, of answers to these kinds of things. Because I'm still fucking upset. Okay. So, yeah, the dog does bother me enough to, to stop me from coming up with, uh, with cerebral cortex responses and, and manageable responses to uh, this situation. Okay, that's how the dog keeps me awake. That's how, how it's affected me. Because a normal person might come up with some other response, I guess, or some other uh, strategy. And I, uh, I think a person listening and seeing all these videos and all that stuff would come probably have about as little success in generating a strategy that as I have had. I don't see where 
some other strategy just obviates itself, I mean, it makes itself obvious. Maybe that's not the right word, obviate. Um, so, so where am I? I, I I'm sad and upset. This stuff triggers me into depression. But, you know, everything triggers me into depression. I'm just a depressive. Always have. I have been since I was 10 years old. It's been 48 years that trigger a bullness into depression. Uh, uh, learned helplessness, I think, is what the term is called. Like I can't do anything about it. Just got to live with the situation. Uh, and that's probably harmful, not healthy. And there probably are things you can do about the situation. And there are sometimes there are drastic things you can do about the situation. Like some people who are in these situations, I mean, it's flat out kill the dog. I don't want to be the guy that kills the dog. Uh, I don't mind being the guy that defends his life against the dog and the dog ends up dying. Okay, well, fuck that. It's a dog deserves to die. But that dog doesn't deserve to die just because he's barking shit at me when the owner's the one that's responsible for that. That's his fault. So, uh, determining fault, come on, that's easy. It's his dog, it's his fault. But determining, you know, beyond that, it's like all these people that have authority and money, they want, they'll take some money from Thomas and pass on their authority. And, you know, they tend to side with each other anyways and all that shit. So, you know, the bullshit rolls downhill. And that's the way it is. And then uh, when they see compelling evidence like video, then they find they might not be able to be so easy to buy off because it's provable that there, you know, there's proof right there. Video is proof. <laughs> How do I do it? Video is going to be the way somehow. Video is proof. Video is the equalizer. Somehow I've got to figure out how to, how to pull video in in such a way that, that Thomas, you know, he naturally brought his video in, so I'll bring mine in, and uh, and that's like, oh, well, Thomas, uh, yes, I did pour piss down uh, into a hole in the ground, okay, and that's, uh, that's uh, kind of behavior that pisses you off, I get it, uh, but your dog is trying to kill me. That's a crime, and you're allowing it to happen. You are f encouraging it to happen. So here's the video of that, and, uh, uh, you know, what's your response to that? <sighs> you see the response of somebody who has authority, and lots of it, is that they're just going to you know, fuck you up in some other way with their authority. They're going to abuse their authority. It's just the way the authority works. So how do you stop that? I don't know. Maybe you can't. Maybe that's just the way the world is. I mean, uh, 
I'm trying to think my ways past all these things. And sure, if you come up with something clever and, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, cleverness, socially, social cleverness, uh, there's social skills, there's social intelligence, uh, just like the regular intelligence. And some people have it and some people don't. And there's probably a certain development of it capable of developing social intelligence. I believe when I was younger, I had quite a bit of social intelligence. And it was mostly because I was a charming little kid. And then that charm got, uh, you know, beaten out of me by the world, by the asshole dad, by the assholes in the street, by uh, assholes around, and assholes in my family, and an asshole brother who uh, molested my, my, my best friend that I wanted to marry. There's assholes behind assholes or everywhere there's assholes. And it's kind of hard to get by on charm when you're surrounded by assholes. And then you get confronted with what appears to be Christian, a God who's an asshole. And to be candid, now, 40 years later, seeing how asshole, much assholes Christians are and how God deals with stuff, I mean, God kind of, is an asshole. I mean, I, I, what we define as an asshole in a way a person wields authority without showing them that they care about you or your, what you're thinking or your position. Since to be, make people just think, well, this guy's just an asshole. And yes, I think God doesn't care about people who don't really want to follow him and don't hold him near or don't value him. And God does care about people who value him and he's trying to say prune our our spirits in some way. Uh, so maybe there's a certain gentleness to how he treats us, but there's a harshness to the whole thing that uh, I find disagreeable and dislikable. But that's just me expressing something about God. I mean, come on, God is God. That's it. You just, uh, you accept it. And if it really is there, if it's a very, if it's real, if it's real, then it's real. And you just accept it. And the whole point was getting to the point of figuring out that it's real. That was the hard part. And once you get to the pa that point, because a lot of people think that it's not real. And so that's like, they just dismiss it. And that's it. They're dismissive. And some people, they, they, okay, so it's real. They take it uh, seriously, like I did. Implement changes in their life. Take it seriously. I think that's what God was just asking us to do. That's all, just take them seriously. And everybody does it differently, and nobody's perfect, and you take it seriously. Some of us thrive under those conditions and, and grow and reproduce or all kinds of uh, social or, or spiritual children. Um, and that's the seed that gets planted on the, the solid ground, on the uh, really good fertile ground. And then there's some of us, the seed gets sprouted among thorns. And I tried to grow up mine, my spiritual seed and uh, my spiritual life, and I got surrounded by thorns, by assholes. 
So I gotta find it in there. Oh, it's 25 minutes. I wonder if I can actually find in this very short time that we have. I'm gonna type in Bible verse. And it's a par parable about spreading the seed. The sower of seeds. And he told them many things in parables in Matthew 13, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering his seed, and some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew and choked the plants. That's Matthew 13. How much time do I have here? Let's see. How much time? Okay. I don't know if I can read this in three and a half minutes. Um, so he spread this on rocky places, didn't have much soil, spring up quickly. Now, if a spring, if a seed springs up quickly, it means it responded and it is, that is a Christian that has come to know Jesus and sprang up and tried to become a Christian. And it, but the soil was shallow. And the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And that is me. Okay, I think I need to uh, continue down this uh, episode. Because I'm onto this thing where uh, that's me. I'm on a Bible verse. It's uh, Matthew chapter 13. And this that part described me and I actually had a discussion with this about this with uh, Bill Huffman and he didn't seem to think that that was that was about uh, okay well, I'm gonna continue okay I'm continuing the discussion of that I was on with Bible Gateway Matthew chapter 13. So I'm going to read one through, uh, oh, it's quite a bit here. Oh, shit. There's 58 verses. So the same day Jesus uh, went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, and all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So that's before, that's when the seed got scattered, but the people, the birds came before it ever got root. That's people who did not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some of it, verse 5, fell on uh, rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. That's describing me. I was raised in a rocky place, and uh, I did not have much soil, and I sprang up, not so quickly even, and the soil was shallow. My spiritual soil was shallow, and the sun came up. The world intruded. The plants, my plant, was scorched, and I withered because I had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So there's a difference between thorns and a sun in the world. I don't know what the difference is. Still other seed, verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. That's great. wish I was that kind of. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, what do you speak in parables? Why do you speak in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And that's, the, that's understanding. If you have understanding, what you have will be given more, and you will be given an abundance of understanding. And whoever does not have understanding, even what you think you have, it will be taken away from you. This is why, verse 13, I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. Oh, guess what? Jesus is saying exactly the same thing as me. They don't understand. Verse 14, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their, you see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Lord God, I had asked that you would heal me. I have turned, and I don't see the healing. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I wish I was there, could see it and hear it, but the reality is, is I'm more blessed, apparently, because I believe without seeing or hearing. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. I totally understand and identify with those prophets and righteous men. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That is seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once received it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Yeah, I've seen that, and I've seen it in myself. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So it all just lasts on you, kind of like Thomas. So not much beyond there. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. But Jesus told them another parable. Okay, so it's another parable about sowing seeds and uh, pulling up the weeds. You got to wait till the weeds grow up. Uh, and then there's another one the kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed. I love that one because the mustard seed is you just need the tiniest little piece of faith and the tiniest piece of faith is knowing that it's, everybody has it. They, they judge Jesus. They say he's a good man. And that's it. That's all the faith that you needed. Because uh, once you are, are confronted by the fact that he died on the cross claiming to be God, can you still call him a good man? You even called him a good man before. He didn't have any problem with the faith that took before. Now, all of a sudden, you're realizing that faith is what delineates you into either heaven or hell. So, it's, it's 
a little more significant than you thought. But that's all the faith that it had, and that's all that you needed, and you ex expressed it before you ever were approached by king, you know, or knew about, or before you ever were confronted by the kingdom of God. Okay, well, there's a lot of the different parables there. That's a lot more than I thought when I first saw that. There's 58, <sighs> 58 verses. Um, and I'm the one that, that fell in, and the soil was uh, thin. I, was, I fell into thin soil. I was raised in thin, thin spiritual soil. Knowing that, how do I, how do I get things done for myself, for my progeny, for my family, for my son, for my daughter even, and my wife, who, and these people don't talk to me because I've become a miserable soul and they don't like me. I can hear something out there. A little earlier for Thomas. It's almost 6 a.m. All right. Well, just to provide some context right now, I've got my blanket over my head because I'm a little bit cold, even though it's lit, it's May, and I'm blocking the light from my computer from getting out so the dog doesn't trigger off of it when he comes by in the morning. And I thought I heard some evidence of the owner or the dog out front. And so now I'm talking a little, a little less loudly. Because the dog will bark at me when he hears my voice. He can hear me. I don't think the dog can smell me at this point. Because it's far back and uh, I've been under the blanket. But there's no, no telling what that dog can smell. All right, so back to where was I at? Uh, I had drifted onto this Bible verse. And I'm the one that's, that fell on the shallow soil. But God can, can give me more soil if he chooses. And I guess uh, he's a little worried about me becoming, growing up into the roots, into the, into the, um, into among thorns. Because I was strengthening my bent when I was younger. I wanted worldly wealth. And today I still want worldly wealth. I would like to have the authority that comes with it. I would like to have the comfort and the access to health care and uh, eating better and having a nice car that'll get you around and a nice house comfortable in and appreciating asset because that's kind of cool to have an appreciating asset like that. Uh, so, 
my legs are cramping up. Alright, well, I'm thoroughly distracted by external events here. And I was talking about how I'm not seed. And how do I get... How do I deal with this? How do I get the message across to Thomas in such a way that it doesn't trigger him? I don't know. It requires social skill and uh, social IQ there. That's higher than what I have. I used to be pretty socially high IQ when I was a young child. But the, the sun has beaten that out of me, that world, world being my family and people that are supposed to care about me but don't. That's kind of tragic. Well, right now I can hear the chicken, the rooster crowing. I can hear some of the towhees. They're starting to chirp, chirp, wake up. So there must be some sunlight out. And there's another little towhee that goes, Pshh. they have an ugly call, but they're beautiful birds. And I really wish I could come up with these uh, techniques and trips, tips and tricks, especially with Thomas. Simple fact is, I don't think I can come up with them. And it requires you to requires me to to access my cerebral cortex, and it's just not being accessed right now. I have to be in a really calm state, in a reflective mood, or something. And then not be attached to the outcome of coming out when you come up with a solution to a problem. It's like, well, that's the solution. You don't have to like it. And you may not even want to do it, but that is the solution. That's what I'm trying to develop here. Okay, I'm continuing the discussion of that I was on with Bible Gateway, Matthew chapter 13. So I'm going to read one through, uh, oh, it's quite a bit here. Oh, shit. There's 58 verses. So the same day Jesus uh, went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, and all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So that's before, that's when the seed got scattered, but the people, the birds came before it ever got root. That's people who did not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some of it, verse 5, fell on uh, rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. That's describing me. I was raised in a rocky place, and uh, I did not have much soil, and I sprang up, not so quickly even, and the soil was shallow. My spiritual soil was shallow, and the sun came up. The world intruded. The plants 
my plant was scorched and I withered because I had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So there's a difference between thorns and a sun in the world. I don't know what the difference is. Still other seed, verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. That's great. I wish I was that kind of. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, what do you speak in parables? Why do you speak in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And that's the that's understanding. If you have understanding, what you have will be given more, and you will be given an abundance of understanding. And whoever does not have understanding, even what you think you have, it will be taken away from you. Is why, verse 13, I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. Oh, guess what? Jesus is saying exactly the same thing as me. They don't understand. Verse 14, in them is fulfilled the profi- prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Lord God, I had asked that you would heal me. I have turned, and I don't see the healing. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I wish I was there could see it and hear it, but the reality is, is I'm more blessed, apparently, because I believe without seeing or hearing. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. I totally understand and identify with those prophets and righteous men. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That is seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once received it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Yeah, I've seen that, and I've seen it in myself. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So it all just lasts on you, kind of like Thomas. So not much beyond there. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. But Jesus told them another parable. Okay, so it's another parable about sowing seeds and uh, pulling up the weeds. You got to wait till the weeds grow up. Uh, And then there's another one the kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed. I love that one because the mustard seed is you just need the tiniest little piece of faith and the tiniest piece of faith is knowing that 
But it's, everybody has it. They, they judge Jesus. They say he's a good man. And that's it. That's all the faith that you needed. Because uh, once you are, are confronted by the fact that he died on the cross claiming to be God, can you still call him a good man? You would call him a good man before. You didn't have any problem with the faith that took before. Now, all of a sudden, you're realizing that faith is what delineates you into either heaven or hell. So it's a little more significant than you thought. But that's all the faith that it had, and that's all that you needed, and you ex expressed it before you ever were approached by king, you know, or knew about, or before you ever were confronted by the kingdom of God. Okay, well, there's a lot of the different parables there. That's a lot more than I thought when I first saw that. There's 58, <sighs> 58 verses. Um, and I'm the one that, that fell in, and the soil was, uh, thin. I, was, I fell into thin soil. I was raised in thin, thin spiritual soil. Knowing that, how do I, how do I get things done for myself, for my progeny, for my family, for my son for my daughter even and my wife who and these people don't talk to me because i've become a miserable soul and they don't like me i can hear something out there A little earlier for Thomas. It's almost 6 a.m. All right. Well, just to provide some context right now, I've got my blanket over my head because I'm a little bit cold, even though it's it's May. And I'm blocking the light from my computer from getting out so the dog doesn't trigger off of it when he comes by in the morning. And I thought I heard some evidence of the owner or the dog out front. And so now I'm talking a little, a little less loudly. Because the dog will bark at me when he hears my voice. He can hear me. I don't think the dog can smell me at this point. It's this far back and uh, I've been under the blanket. But there's no, no telling what that dog can smell. All right, so back to where was I at? Uh, I had drifted onto this Bible verse. And I'm the one that's, that fell on the shallow soil. But God can, can give me more soil if he chooses. And I guess uh, he's a little worried about me becoming, growing up into the roots, into the, into the, um, in the among thorns. Because I was drinking my bent when I was younger. I wanted worldly wealth. 
And today, I still want worldly wealth. I would like to have the authority that comes with it. I would like to have the comfort and the access to health care and uh, eating better and having a nice car that will get you around and a nice house comfortable in and appreciating asset because that's kind of cool to have an appreciating asset like that. So, my legs are cramping up. All right, well, I'm thoroughly distracted by external events here. I was talking about how I'm not seed, and how do I get? How do I deal with this? How do I get the message across to Thomas in such a way that it doesn't trigger him? I don't know. It requires social skill and uh, social IQ there. That's higher than what I have. I used to be pretty socially high IQ when I was a young child. But the, the... Son has beaten that out of me, that world, world being my family and people that are supposed to care about me, but don't. That's kind of tragic. Well, right now I can hear the chicken, the rooster crowing. Can hear some of the towhees. They're starting to chirp, chirp, wake up. So there must be some sunlight out. And there's another little towhee that goes. Look, they have an ugly call, but they're beautiful birds. And I really wish I could come up with these uh, techniques and trips, tips and tricks. Especially with Thomas. Simple fact is, I don't think I can come up with them. And it requires you to requires me to to access my cerebral cortex, and it's just not being accessed right now. I have to be in a really calm state, in a reflective mood, or something, and then not be attached to the outcome of. Come out when you come up with a solution to a problem, it's like, well, that's the solution. You don't have to like it, and you may not even want to do it, but that is the solution. That's what I'm trying to develop here. <laughs>